0: Elevate 150 Financial Checkups at Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Here's how it works. Go online and schedule a 30-minute phone call. They'll guide you through your credit report to find ways to improve your financial health. Then they'll send $150 in your name to Redeemer Radio. For information, visit NotreDameFCU.com slash elevate. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame, FCU. Church Life Today is a production of Spoke Street Media and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame, and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and our listeners.
1: Missionaries venture to sites unseen to open up the gospel in new ways. The hard to get to places are the special province of missionaries who exercise both creativity and commitment to get where others have not thought to go. We might think of missionaries sailing across seas or hiking across mountains, but a missionary's vision and aim can take on very different forms than those we might see in movies. Sometimes missionary work means recognizing the obstacles that impede access to the gospel or to the church's tradition— or to spiritually edifying resources that enrich people's lives and finding ways to lower those barriers to grant access where access was not previously granted. Such is the work and mission of the Xavier Society for the Blind, which came into existence over a century ago in response to a prayer that God would inspire someone to take pity on the blind of the country for whom, there was no Catholic book to be had. The person who prayed that prayer became a co-founder of the Society, and since then, the Xavier Society for the Blind has been creating resources for blind and visually impaired persons, now most notably through Braille reading materials and audio books. My guest today is the executive director of Xavier Society, Mr. Malachi Fallon, he joins me to talk about the mission of the society, the impact of its work, the model for evangelization that it provides, and collaboration of a great many who help open up the treasures of the faith to those whose access might otherwise be obstructed. As for me, I'm Leonard DiLorenzo. This is Church Life Today, a production of the McGrath Institute for Church Life and Spoke Street Media Network. I'm glad you're here. Maliki, welcome to the show. Thank you, Leonard. It's my my pleasure, and I
0: always welcome the opportunity to talk about Xavier Society and our mission. I appreciate the
1: opportunity. Absolutely. As I understand, the Xavier Society for the Blind has been serving blind and visually impaired persons for over 120 years now. So, for the sake of those who are perhaps unfamiliar with your work, I was wondering if you would mind beginning by. Giving us a sense of the mission of what you do, maybe a a sense of the history and how you serve the needs of those you serve.
0: Okay. Well, great. What we say in a nutshell is that we provide faith and inspiration in Braille and audio. So we provide content, books and articles and other types of content, mostly on religious topics, but not exclusively, mostly on Catholic topics, but not exclusively. We've tried to broaden our appeal. So that we're now including inspirational writings, spiritual writings, things that are a little bit more, I don't want to say generic, but general and spiritual and inspirational in nature. As you mentioned, we got started in 1900, Margaret Coffey and Father Joseph Stottleman. Joseph was a Jesuit priest in New York City, and Margaret was a, a young blind woman who was teaching uh, religious education, basically teaching catechism classes blind children and she realized that her students were at a disadvantage because they didn't have the same books available that their sighted peers had and she wanted to do something about that so she she got together with father stonnelman and convinced him to work with her and he had been working with deaf children not blind children but deaf children so he agreed to help her out to provide books in what was then referred to as raised print it was new york point A forerunner of braille being used by our organization and she was not only a co-founder but she was one of our first large donors and she donated 350 dollars so that xavier society could purchase a stereograph machine Mm. and stereograph machine at that time was considered you know the the cutting edge technology and it allowed us to provide a larger volume of books in raised raised print yeah and I, I did a couple of years ago, given my finance background, a couple of years ago, I did a back of the envelope calculation and realized that that $350 in 1900 amounted to about eleven dollars or $12,000 in today's dollars. So This is just was a quite private
1: a, donation, just from her own her own money? From her yeah. savings. Oh, yeah. wow. So she
0: was really inspirational in addition to being the, one of the co-founders of our mission.
1: mm Now, I think many of us would know that St. Francis Xavier is probably the greatest missionary of modern time. And as I understand it, your society bears his name because it started in the College of St. Xavier, which is now, if I'm not mistaken, Xavier High School in New York.
0: That's right. That's
1: right. Right. But I can't help but think about the sort of providential nature of this name. So maybe it was just because it was started there that it took on this name. But to take on the the name of this great missionary, I was wondering if, how you think about the missionary dimension of your work. Maybe, you know, if it captures something of the spirit of St. Xavier of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it, it's sort of getting it to those hard to get to places like mm-hmm. me you know, many missionaries do. So, we're trying to put the Sunday Mass propers, the readings and responses and the prayers for Sunday Mass. We're trying to put the catechism. We're trying to put other religious textbooks and workbooks for young children in the hands of those people who need them. And they're not accessible from any other source. So, we feel that we're, you know, doing something unique. And as I said, trying to to reach places that aren't, you know, that haven't been reached by others in
1: the past. Hmm. I love the way you put that, getting to the hard-to-get-to places. That's part of the, the spirit of a missionary, for sure. How do you get what you get to the people who receive it? So how does, this, how does this work, that they now gain access to the catechism, or as you said, the mass propers?
0: So typically, over time, we've been fed, if you would, patrons and clients through the schools for the blind across the country and initially it was you know because we were based in New York in the northeast it was some of the northeast schools up in boston or in new york and new jersey philadelphia as far away as chicago at the time students learn about us through their blind schools and they request books and periodicals that they need and they they register with us right so just to make sure you know we're in compliance with all the copyright laws you know we can as long as we're providing content books in Braille or audio to individuals who are blind or visually impaired, and we've sort of registered them and documented them, they can become a patron of ours and receive uh, all of our content, our materials, free of charge. So, typically, you know, if if someone is blind from birth or blind from a very young age, they'll learn Braille and Mm -hmm. the content that we provide is in Braille. Over the years, as we've seen an aging population and more people suffer from vision impairment and vision loss because of age or because of a variety of medical conditions. They're too far along to learn Braille, but they definitely want audiobooks and they want our content in audio. So similarly, folks can become patrons of ours and register with us later in life and, and receive the materials in audiobook format as well.
1: Can you tell us a little bit about those audiobooks? Because as I, I've looked into this a little bit following some of your work, that there's a particular device that is uh, typically used for those who are visually impaired, and then the audio files that you create come on a certain kind of cartridge that would work in this device. For people who haven't seen this or don't know about it, can you tell us about that and how folks who may need this receive this kind of assistance? Sure.
0: So again, as technology has evolved, you know, we've gone from recording on discs, uh-huh. on long playing records to reel to reel tape to cassettes. Never tried a track, but uh, we did have <laughs> cassettes. And at the time that I started in 2016, we were providing our audio books on, on CDs, on discs. Yeah. And what we realized was that the National Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled were providing what's referred to as digital talking book machines free of charge to people across the United States who are blind or visually impaired or print disabled if they can't hold a book in their hands. So, those devices are provided free of charge, and and it's been estimated that over a half a million people in the United Mm -hmm. States have received those devices. So, we figured that if we made our content available in a format that's compatible with those devices, potentially, we'd be able to reach many, many more people. Mm. And that's what we did. So we began the process of converting to that format in, in I think it was 2018, late 2018, and began to provide our audiobooks in that format in 2019. And so if people request titles from us, what they'll receive is a cartridge that is encrypted so it can only play on those digital talking book machines. So again, it's a way to ensure that you know we're not in violation of any copyright laws and that we're providing our materials to people who are in fact blind, visually impaired, or print disabled.
1: Excellent. This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today on the Spoke Street Media Network. I'm joined today by Maliki Fallon, Executive Director at Xavier Society for the Blind, which provides religious, spiritual and inspirational reading materials in Braille and audio to blind and visually impaired individuals worldwide. I wonder if maybe we could talk about one of the sort of products that you create, which is the mass propers to make the life of the mass available in a way that it wouldn't be available to people who are blind or visually impaired. Can you talk a little bit, well, first of all, about what you deliver through that and how you deliver it, but also sure. – what does this make possible, as you've seen, for people who are blind or visually impaired?
0: Sure. So the Mass proper I think I alluded to earlier, are the, all the, the readings, prayers, responses for the Sunday Mass and major feast days in the, in the Catholic Church. So we provide those in Braille. We do the transcription, so basically taking the, the printed word and preparing it to, to be embossed, mm-hmm. which is the equivalent of being printed in Braille. Be embossed in Braille, so that's done in-house by our certified Braille transcriber, and then we work with because it's such a a large order and such a volume of Braille that goes out. The actual embossing is done by National Braille Press up in Boston, and we send out every month. We send out four volumes of Braille, which are the subsequent Sunday masses, so that gets delivered to people's homes and. We send that out to it's about 800 people in the United States, across the United States, and in 20 countries outside of the United States. So it's, it's quite an undertaking. Again, one of my back-of-the-envelope calculations a few years ago is that the mass proppers totals just about 750,000 pages of Braille each year oh my. being sent to, to those 800 people we send each and every month. And it's really important. When I first started as executive director, I'd come from a corporate background in the financial services industry. I had wanted to work in the in the nonprofit sector for some time. So I was fortunate that, you know, when I was asked to take the position of executive director at Xavier Society, but one of the first events that I attended was our annual St. Lucie Mass. And St. Lucie Mass is one of the the patron saints of the blind. And we celebrate that on December 13th of each year. The first year that I attended that as executive director, it was held at the Lady Chapel at St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City. And I don't know if you're familiar with St. Patrick's. I I wasn't even aware that there was a small chapel behind the main main altar, but there's a small chapel behind the main altar called the Lady Chapel. And that's where uh, we held for the first few years when I was executive director that's where that mass was held. And we have a a patron of ours, Father Jamie Dennis. He's a a young blind priest from Owensboro, Kentucky. And he's been traveling to New York over the last several years, excluding during the the pandemic. But he's been traveling to New York from Owensboro, Kentucky to be the main celebrant at that St. Lucie mass. And at that mass, we have many other of our patrons who will be serving as lectors. So doing the readings and doing the prayers, doing the responses, the intercessions at the mass. So for me, the sort of the first event, it really personified, I mean, literally personified our mission. And I got to really see what it was that we do and how important it is to people who receive our materials. So uh, if you can imagine being in New York City over the Christmas holidays at St. Patrick's Cathedral, across the street from Rockefeller Center, and the skating rink, and the Christmas tree, and all the madness that goes on at that time of year in that part of the city. You know, we had the mass was at seven, seven o'clock in the evening. We had a full house, you know, and people really made an effort to get there. And it was very important. And I hear this over and over again. It's very important for our patrons to celebrate. Mass and, and to participate in their faith together with other blind and visually impaired people. So, it was very important to see so many people make the effort to get there and then to see the main celebrant and the lectors using our Mass propers. It, it was just inspiring yeah, to me.
1: yeah. And you were speaking a moment ago about the sh- sort of sheer volume of the the pages that you're creating for this each year, as you said, 750,000 pages of Braille each year, just for the mass propers, correct? Yeah. That's right. I think, you know, many of us who don't see Braille books very often lose a sense of the kind of scope of this. So I think I saw a video of you speaking about the translation of the Bible that you had done recently, uh, no. or somewhat recently and when yeah. we think of the bible many of us we think of one volume sitting on our on our desk or on our uh coffee table but f- to see that in braille it was an entire wall bookshelf of right. each yeah, of the it's, volumes it's, right
0: yeah nearly 40 volumes in braille yeah so i think when we first you know announced that we were making the bible available in braille people were very happy yeah. and of course you know people ordered right away and, and and wanted to get it and then you know a few <laughs> weeks later you know, 15 boxes arrived at their homes. <laughs> and they're putting and they're, an addition on the they, house. They, yeah, they yeah. had a, they had some second thoughts about what they were doing. So yeah. we also now offer, you know, if people want to request individual volumes I or see. individual books of the Bible at a time, uh-huh. we can do that. And, and rather than embossing the whole bible old and new testament at once yeah we can do it in-house and just do individual books of the bible which is i think more manageable for for us and for (laughs) For
1: everybody do you ever do that on a sort of loan basis you give give a book out a volume and get it back when you send another one or
0: so our audio books are circulating in uh, that way circulating Yeah. Yeah. yeah And the Braille volumes are considered consumables. Ah. So, once they receive the volume in Braille, it's theirs to keep. I see.
1: Well, one of the things that really struck me that I discovered is that you provide all these materials free of charge, which is, uh, you know, as we're talking about the scale of the production and even what one Bible would include these, as you said, 40 volumes, you know, a, a different book for each book of the Bible. It is just stunning to think about your society providing these free of charge. So how can you do that?
0: So, you know, we've been very fortunate and we've benefited from the generosity of very many people over a very long period of time. So we're a a nonprofit organization, a charity, and we solicit donations. We do direct mail appeals and we try to get the word out via, you know, social media and other formats as well. While we don't, charge our patrons for the materials. Our patrons have been very generous to Mm -hmm. us over the years, so they do make contributions, and many have remembered us in their wills, so we are the the beneficiary of of many bequests over the years. And then we also benefit from the support of uh, quite a few smaller family foundations, either with Catholic roots or that traditionally, historically have supported organizations that support blind and visually impaired people. So it's sort of a, a combination: individual donors and foundations, bequests over time.
1: Yes, I mean I think all of us know about the increase in material costs, especially over the last few years. I wonder what that has done to your operating costs and how you've been able to manage that supply chain issues. You know, when you're talking about all of this paper, I work with a number of publishers on different projects and they're rushing to get books into line because if they don't get it in in a certain time, it's going to be four months before they're back in line because there's just a shortage on paper. What has this meant for all of your operations?
0: So it, it has, as you've noted, it has resulted in increasing costs, you know, across, across the, the board, board. It, you know, all all the supplies. The one thing we're trying to encourage our content is also available in electronic format. Hmm. So people who who have devices are called refreshable Braille devices, they can receive a file from us electronically, and then they can download that file onto their refreshable Braille device. And it's it's almost like a, a reverse typewriter, right? The Braille pops Comes up, up. Oh, yeah, and then refreshes, you know, line by line. Um, so some of our patrons are are using those devices, so there are certainly cost savings related to to that, not having to produce the paper braille and not have to you know ship it out and yeah. have all the administrative costs of doing that. The other thing we do our audio books are recorded by volunteers. So we're not paying people to do the recordings. And then we work with in order to ensure a high level of quality, we work with freelance audio engineers. So we're able to manage those costs without creating a lot of overhead in the organization. And Mm. that's been very helpful as well.
1: My own institute here at Notre Dame, we've spent some time in the last few years exploring the concept, the understanding of co-responsibility in the church, that the laity and the clergy are co-responsible for the primary mission of the church, which is evangelization and trying to discover new ways of capturing that primary responsibility. But as you're talking about both the founding of the Xavier Society and now the way in which you conduct your work, it seems very much to me a living example of this creative union, this co-responsibility in action for the evangelization. As you said at the beginning, the missionary spirit is to get to the hard-to-get places and to speak of the volunteers, of the donors that you speak of, even from the very beginning of a laywoman and a Jesuit priest coming together to create this, I think many of us would do well to kind of look at this example to see co-responsibility in action to appeal to our own imaginations of how to live this mission in the church.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up that theme because one of the things I did recently, I just completed recording the biography of Father Hesper. Ah, right? so yeah. so i this is the second book that I've recorded because I really wanted to understand the process, what goes into it, and it's not an easy process, mm. even for the reader. One thinks that just oh, I 'll just read that's very simple, and <laughs> it's not it's not as much as I like to hear my own voice it's uh it's not an easy thing to do, but what I learned from that book was father Hesburgh. i mean it started i think with his dissertation mm. um. When he was ordained was greater involvement of the laity to make sure that the laity has a larger role in the church. And he was very much a proponent of that than coming after the Second Vatican Council, which tried to encourage and steer the church in that direction. So, yeah, I, I think it's very, very important. And we work with a terrific team of volunteer readers and a number of other volunteers that help the organization as we try to, get the good word out there to people who are really, really craving for it.
1: Yeah. As we come to a close here, I'd love, if you don't mind, I'd love to hear a little bit about how you yourself got into this work that you're now doing. You had mentioned briefly that you had a a history in your professional life working in the financial sector, and this was a bit of a shift. So how did you come into this work with the Xavier Society? And maybe if if you wouldn't mind sharing with us a, a little bit about what this has meant for you yourself.
0: Sure. So, I had worked in the financial services sector for an organization called Standard and Poor's. Oh, sure. And during much of my career, and it's a 31-year career, both in New York and in Texas, I was working with state and local governments and nonprofit organizations, larger nonprofit organizations. Um, and I was always amazed at the wonderful people that I met working for nonprofits and the passion. That they had about their organizations and the the work that they were doing. I often thought that at some point in my career, and I wasn't sure exactly when, that I would like, rather than working around nonprofits, I would like to work for a nonprofit. So, a few years ago, I was trying to figure out, okay, how do I make this happen? So, I became aware of a program, a master's degree program in nonprofit leadership at my alma mater, Fordham University. So, I enrolled in that program, And completed that program. And just as I was graduating, a couple of the deans from Fordham came to me and said, there's a small nonprofit organization. Historically, traditionally, it's been run by Jesuit priests, but the board is looking to bring in someone with a business background who understands nonprofits and who is familiar with the Jesuit tradition, because traditionally, the executive directors had been Jesuit priests. So here I was, you know, coming out of the business world with a degree in nonprofit leadership from my third degree from, from Fordham Jesuit, University, yeah, right. the, the Jesuit University right. of of New York City. So I sort of ticked all the boxes <laughs> at the time. So I don't know if it was the divine intervention or, you know, just the stars aligning for me or whatever it was. It, it, you it said worked. you
1: wanted to do it. God said, here you go. It's right <laughs> yeah. here. All set up for Be- you. Be careful
0: what you ask for. Yes. No, it's been great. I mean, it's, you know, right from day one, I'm excited to get on the train and come into work and I, you know, realize how important the work that we do is, you know, creating Braille is, it's sort of a a niche, you know, market to begin with and and doing what we do and getting people that we do free of charge Mm. um, across the United States and around the world. Um, it, it can be challenging, but it's it's greatly rewarding as well.
1: This is Leonard DiLorenzo for Church Life Today on Spoke Street Media Network. I've been talking with Maliki Fallon, Executive Director at Xavier Society for the Blind, providing religious, spiritual, and inspirational reading materials in braille and audio to blind and visually impaired individuals worldwide. You can find out more about their work and support their mission at xaviersocietyfortheblind.org. Maliki, thank you so much for spending this time with us today.
0: Leonard, thank you. I, again, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about Xavier Society and our, our inspiring
1: patrons. So thanks very much. Indeed, our pleasure. And thanks to all of you for joining us on Church Life Today. Church Life Today is a production of Spoke Street Media and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame, and is brought
0: to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com. Ave Maria Press has been publishing Catholic books and resources for more than
1: 150 years, and they are located right on the north side of the Notre Dame campus. Visit AveMariaPress.com for a wide selection of spirituality books, classic Catholic literature, and
0: even books for families. You can also find podcasts and free downloadable Catholic content. Visit AveMariaPress.com and receive 25% off your order with code Redeemer. Ave Maria Press, helping people to know, love, and serve God.